When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying And you've taken all the potions you had left And you feel like you are doomed because that demon you set loose is coming after you And you can smell its breath Don't ever give up Hello, welcome to Role Playing Saints. This is Adam, and joining me today is my guest host, uh, Jeff. And uh, we today we're joined by two special guests. Gentlemen, you care to introduce yourselves? I'm Sean Branny. Uh, hi, I'm Andrew Lehman. And where might we have heard Jarrell's name? We uh, we run a little joint called the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, and uh, for the last uh, oh thirty some years, we've been uh, cooking up some. Uh, Weird Lovecraftian entertainment and sharing it with folks as best we can. <laughs> Definitely the black and white silent version of Call of Cthulhu. I think that's the first time that I'd heard of H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. I think, I think for myself as well. So, yeah, well, we, that, we made that film, what, in about 16 years ago? 16, 17 years ago? 2005 it came out, so uh, whatever that is. Uh, and we've done a couple other pro. We've done a, a lot of other projects in <laughs> Uh, you know, follow-up feature film of The Whisperer in Darkness and the whole Dark Adventure Radio Theater series and most that kind of stuff. So how did that H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society come together? You want to tell the tale, Andrew? Or me too? Uh, uh, we can do it together. We, uh, we got started playing Call of Cthulhu when we were in uh, high school. That was my, my introduction to Lovecraft was when uh, Sean invited me and some other uh, friends over to play this crazy new role-playing game in the late 1980s, Call of Cthulhu, and it was the most fun game I'd ever played. And we were all theater students. Uh, that's how Sean and I met, was doing a play in high school. And we thought it would be a lot of fun to, uh, uh, even more fun, to play a live-action version of this Call of Cthulhu thing. We had never heard of LARPing. Uh, this was before the internet existed, so we didn't know anybody else had ever thought of this. So we thought we invented live-action role-playing. And uh, we created our own form of, of Cthulhu LARP that we called Cthulhu Lives, and uh, we just sort of ran games for each other. And over the years into college and grad school, it all got much more elaborate. And eventually we formed a, an actual organization, which we called the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Sean, you can give them some of the more specifics on, on that. Sure. We would invite uh, different friends to come and play this game with us. We we needed people, and uh, it seemed like fun. So we would we would uh, marshal resources wherever we could and say, "Hey, I want you to be a butler, and you're going to be a gangster, and you're going to be a monster." And and uh, our friends would come and play this game with it. And most of them had never done anything remotely like it, and uh, it had a strangely addictive quality to it. So a lot of the people who played uh, wanted to keep playing. We found more and more people were, were getting interested in it. And so we published a little uh, a newsletter called Strange Eons for a couple of years that kind of chronicled the games. In the end, we ended up putting on, I think, 60-some of these live-action, role-playing Lovecraftian adventures. And they did kind of grow in scope as we became more ambitious and started using things like the real British Museum in London and boats on the ocean and a helicopter flying out in the desert. And we, we got to where we realized that Putting on one of these games was was a lot like making a movie. Uh, there were just no lights or camera. So then that kind of nudged us towards, well, geez, maybe we should share the fun with even more people and get a camera and some lights. And so we started around 2001, I think, 2000, something like that. We uh, made a short film called A Shuggeth on the Roof. Well, actually, we'd done the testimony of Randolph Carter, too, back in, yeah, in back college, in. a movie before that. And, and then we started doing some music CDs. We did a couple CDs of Lovecraftian Christmas carols and all that. And, you know, just bit by bit, more and more people uh, were taking an interest in, in what we were doing. And conveniently, the Internet sort of came to be in the, the early 90s. And that gave us a way to share what we were what we were doing with a much wider audience. And uh, by the time we made Call of Cthulhu, then uh, folks like you found out about it. It was easier to spread the word among uh, fans who were people who are into Lovecraft. I used to teach English at a high school level. Now I'm actually teaching computer science with an English degree. Don't ask, it's complicated. But every year I would actually, when we get into a short story unit, I would break out called Cthulhu. <laughs> and throughout the course of a couple of years of doing that, there was maybe five or six kids in my classes that really got hooked into Lovecraft. That was their first uh, feel for it. And one of them even for Christmas purchased me the uh, the Cthulhu Christmas songs, like the <laughs> beginning to look a lot like Fishman, I think was one of the tracks yeah. on there. Yep. 
So anything, anything for extra credit. <laughs> Well, I helped get that kid into college. I helped him with scholarship. So it, it, it pans out. So, if I'm not mistaken, don't you all offer uh, memberships to the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society? Indeed, we do. Yeah, you can join on an annual basis, or we offer lifetime membership. And if that's our lifetime, not yours, um, <laughs> that's, I didn't wasn't aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Out. yeah. We have uh, we have members uh, all over the world. Uh, I think on all the heavily populated continents, and uh, from South Tasmania to Northern Finland, and everywhere in between. Yeah, our membership. It's interesting because when we had first started the society back in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, we had memberships back then, and we had I don't know, maybe a hundred or so back then. Andrew, I don't know, something like that. Like that, can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and for a long time, we didn't offer memberships, and then. Uh, Sometime, I think, it wasn't until like after Whisper or something that we started doing membership. Yeah, again. it's actually fairly recent that we restarted. Yeah. So now, yeah, we have uh, annual and lifetime members uh, all, all over the world. And uh, uh, our website's grown to be a much larger thing than it ever was. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to – Lovecraft has brought a lot of fun to us over the years. And we just hope to um, help other people have the kind of fun we do. I, I believe that um, you were working on a project to have uh, like a location of member members on a, essentially like Google Earth or some kind of map program so everyone could see where everyone is, at least know that there's a member nearby or in a particular location. Yeah, that, that remains on the to-do list, uh, but uh, we hope uh, before the year is out that we'll actually get that thing populated and then, uh, yeah, people can see geographically who's near them and uh, hopefully uh, set up a contact link so people can say, hey, I didn't know there was, you know, another Lovecraft fan in Kalamazoo or Timbuktu or wherever you might be. What other type of benefits come with membership? Well, all members get a, you know, fancy certificate and membership card that's handmade. (laughs) Uh, You get uh, discounts on purchases that you make at uh, either in our actual store in California or at any of the events where we attend personally, like Necronomicon in Providence or the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon, or coming up this summer later, Gen Con, other stuff like that. We have a special members-only section of our website. There's a big members-only Facebook group. We offer this complicated bonus stamp program, so you're rewarded for different kinds of participation in society uh, endeavors, either stuff that you buy through our store or uh, stuff that you contribute through Facebook or other stuff like that. So you can earn different sorts of uh, bonus stamps to go on your membership card. And if you earn the more bonus stamps you earn, then you also earn credit in our online store. So there's all kinds of things. There. We do a big, uh, well, up until recently, uh, uh, was a secret, uh, <laughs> I won't even say it's old name, a, a uh, <laughs> holiday gift exchange for HBLHS members. So we match up members all across the world and, People send each other Lovecraftian gifts at the holiday time, and that's uh, that's also been good fun, and that's something that's only available to people who are members in good standing of the society. And that, for example, if you participate in that gift exchange, that earns you one of these bonus stamps, for example. So that's the sort of that's the sort of participation that earns you the rewards of bonus stamps. Cool. I think there's also a member of the mo- member of the month gift as well. Yeah, every every. Every month, some some member is randomly selected by a random number generator to be the member of the month, and they get a, a profile on our website, and they get a free member pin and another gift from our store and the enduring fame of having been HPLHS member of the month. <laughs> oh, that's Excellent. awesome. Well, I know, speaking of the store, you all offer uh, just a huge variety of stuff. That's usually, I go through the website once or twice a year around birthdays and Christmas. And I send it to my mother and I think she's did quite a bit of shopping here. I've got a beautiful HP Lovecraft mug and uh, several of the dark adventure radio theater CDs. And I, th- I think my most recent purchase there, which good Lord, I got to ask you, man, I hate to derail it too bad here, but how long did it take for you all to record the complete works of HP Lovecraft or pretty much? Rick? Oh, better part of three years. I think that wasn't of course going nonstop. But it's uh, of actual studio time. It's probably 120 hours, maybe. The uh, the collected, the complete fiction. Once it's edited all down to just the reading, is about 55 hours. And for doing an audio book, the ratio is about two two and a half hours of recording to every hour of of finished material. So some somewhere in that vicinity. 
Uh, and then, of course, it all has to be edited, and then you got to go back and proofread <laughs> it and listen to it all and make sure you know that uh, there aren't flaws in the edit, add the music in. So it's uh, it is a fairly labor intensive process. Well, I know it's a beautiful box that I got the Fox box with thumb drive in it with the bust of HP Lovecraft on it. Yeah, we had fun producing that that uh, particular package for that project. We wanted something that would feel fun on a shelf, but not be uh, not be too ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, for fans of that, uh, something in a similar vein might well be in the works. Oh, yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that attention to detail that you all give with all your products. That was what I've, one of the first things I heard about uh, Dark Adventure Radio Theater. I was sitting at a party, and this guy, this man found out I was an H.P. Lovecraft fan and was telling me about purchasing the, the CDs from you all and then just the amount of like little props that you get in there, newspaper clippings and whatnot there. I just, it's, I don't think I've ever successfully managed to get everything back in the case. As soon as I- <laughs> yeah. We hear that. We hear that can be a problem. It's hard to get it in there in the first place. Most of the I time. imagine <laughs> we've actually, after years of hearing people lamenting that problem, we, we think we've come up with a solution. So uh, hopefully in the next, maybe the next couple months, yeah, that we uh, should be able to offer uh a think, yeah. management system specifically for Dark Adventure Radio. So, so the, next, at, the next episode we're working on is going to have more props than can possibly fit in a jewel case in the first place. So we had to, we were forced to come up with another way of doing it. Yeah, we weren't, I, weren't even going to try with this one. Yeah, I imagine that might require freight to send it. <laughs> I was just looking at my copy of the rats in the walls and how the, the case can't even be closed anymore because it's the uh, props in there just bulge out. It's a great problem to have, gentlemen. Don't get me wrong. No. Beautiful. Uh, speaking of which, so it seems like you started out with recording a Dark Adventure Radio Theater. You started out going through the stories of H.P. Lovecraft, but it's the past two, or maybe not in sequential order, but it seems like you've diverged from the actual works of Lovecraft, such as, you know, Call of Cthulhu or Rats and Wall, to different avenues, I guess you could say. Well, the, the the well of Lovecraft is only so deep, and we did start out with a lot of his major works and adapting them, and uh, th- those went pretty well. And I think the, the our first real departure was uh, we decided uh, we wanted to do an adaptation of Dagon, and you know Dagon's like a nine page story. You know, it, it the actual Lovecraft text is so brief that you know most of the stories we tell are feature length, you know, seventy five minute uh, kind of stories. So we thought, well, how could we use the germ of a Lovecraftian story and make something that's going to be a, uh, how can we expand it in a way that will satisfy the diehard Lovecraft fans and bring some fun surprises to, uh, to people who don't know what we're up to. So we did the Wells Wells effect with Dagon. And I thought that was a great, great one. I've actually sent that at least, I think two different, two, two friends for gifts. Yeah, we were very encouraged with how that particular one turned out. It was a lot of fun. It incorporated Dagon plus, in some ways, it's a sequel to Shadow Over Innsmouth, and it also yep. incorporates elements from uh, the the Temple. Is it the Temple? Thinking that yep. right? Yeah, the Temple. And then Sean did a, an, a completely original story with that used Inspector Legrasse as a main character, and then we did one that uh, incorporates Edgar Allan Poe, and and we've done. We started doing a couple that are adaptations of some of Chaosium's more celebrated uh, Call of Cthulhu modules, Brotherhood of the Beast, and now we're working on Masks of Nyarlathotep. So, yeah, Dark Adventure has – there are still some major works of Lovecraft that we have not yet done as Dark episodes and may do in the future as Dark episodes. But we've also started to expand beyond uh, just pure Lovecraft into Lovecraftian and, and other sorts of uh, material. Other weird, weird fiction. Yeah, we were curious to see whether the fan base would would follow us if we took a few steps away from uh, you know true cano- canonical Lovecraft, and we were we were very pleased to to find that actually uh, people came right along with it, and you know they like the Lovecraft stuff and they like the original stuff, and uh, people just seem to be having fun with the franchise. So right now we feel like you know we've got some liberty to explore a bunch of different avenues. Yeah, I, I think the 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 white tree, which is the Inspector the Grass. Uh, Dart is uh, kind of like the first fan fiction, I guess, of yours in a, in a way. And I thought that was a great one. Um, it's one of my favorites, actually, that you guys have done. Oh, well, yeah, glad to hear it. You know, we one of the thoughts with that is, you know, Lagrasse and the whole Louisiana setting is is pretty terrific. And 
at least for me, there there was a desire to to tell a Lovecraftian story that Lovecraft himself never would have written to involve you know characters that that you know that they just weren't part of of his imaginative palette particularly. So to tell us a story that still used a lot of his type of approach, but to bring in a lot of characters that uh, Lovecraft himself wouldn't have written about and some themes that he never would have written about. Uh, and perhaps, yeah. uh, perhaps, you know, some of us wish he had, or at least, you know, been able to see the world through, uh, through a lens that's a little other than, uh, than the one he did. So, yeah. And after many years of, you know, role-playing gaming ourselves, we had created our own characters like Nate Ward and Charlie Tower and Jordan Lowell. Those are characters that, were originally characters from games that we had played. So putting them into some of our Dark Adventure episodes, you know, we have a lot of game stories that we told ourselves over the years that we have never told to a wider audience. So by doing, you know, Nate and Charlie uh, all uh, appear in our movie of The Whisper in Darkness, and they appear in a couple of the Dark Adventure episodes. So it it may well be that you'll see those particular characters again in future Dart episodes because they're characters that we created many, many years ago. And and we have a lot of stories involving those particular characters. Sure. I I seem to recall in a discussion on the the Facebook group that Sean one time he mentioned that you never expected Dart to become like a main uh, product line for the HPOHS. And that I think Call of Cthulhu was your first one and it, it Obviously, you guys did well, but now you're on number 18, I think. Yeah, 16, 18. The, the whole thing is just so improbable. Um, it's really a delight, you know, that, that, you know, we, here we are, you know, 30 years later, still doing a lot of the stuff we were doing for fun back when we were high school <laughs> kids. And, you know, we've found a way to make a viable business out of it and have a store and have employees and, uh, you know, are able to continue to, you know, make to play in the sandbox and make new things. You know, when we made Call of Cthulhu, we had no idea whether there would really be an audience for a 47 minute, minute long silent Lovecraft film. We just wanted to make it. And, you know, it's really the, the same thing with uh, Mountains of Madness was the first dark adventure radio show. And we made that and had no idea whether it would really, you know, find an audience and click with people. And, you know, now here are. 11 years after that, and we're working on the 20th episode of Dark Adventure Radio's theater, and it's just gotten bigger and more complicated and shared with a wider audience. Uh, you know, we have we have Dark Adventure fans in, in some, some really, you know, we do a lot of our business outside the United States, and we have Dark Adventure fans in Malaysia and in Qatar and, you know, places in, in the Mideast and Africa and the Far East that we don't tend to send a lot of physical stuff to, but but there are still uh, some Dart fans and yeah, really you know, globally. And that's, that's really neat that people are out there. And as long as people keep listening, we're planning to keep making them. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you can probably copy in on that. Are you guys free to talk about massive Nihilithra Hotep? That's all we talk about every day. <laughs> for oh, okay. hours a day, every day. <laughs> so, uh, yes, we can. There, there might be details we may not share with you, but on the whole, the, the project is out of the bag and we're happy to talk about it. Awesome. So, uh, Jeff, you want to lead on this one here? I, I guess um, uh, I've seen some question. Other people have, have have asked questions online and such about because uh, uh, you got you guys got have a number number of um, package packages for you. Uh, if I'm correct, you have the dart itself, which includes its own props as usual. Right. Uh, you have a gamer prop set that's separate from that. Yep. And there's a, a different prop set above beyond. Uh, the Dart itself, but it's for Dart. You, you know, it's not part of the Dart program itself, but it's something extra you can you can purchase. And then there is a super deluxe package that includes all of that. Is that is that, that's correct? Am I honest? More, more or less, yeah. The, okay, the, pretty good. The, the, there's going to be the standard. There's going to be the Dart set, which is a six CD, seven and a half hour long show that comes with props, like all of our previous episodes. But this one has just more props than usual because it's such okay. a big. Then there's the gamer prop set, like you said, which is all the props that you need to play Chaosium's actual game. And some of those props are the same as have to do with the show, but some of them are unrelated to the show because there's stuff that happens in the game that doesn't happen. And then we're doing a deluxe version of the show, which will be the show plus all the standard props plus even more props. And then there's the super deluxe version, 
which includes the show plus all those other props plus our more, real, more. <laughs> more artifacts, 3D artifacts, props that are beyond just documents, but actual physical things. Ooh, that's very tempting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Jeff and I have already had this conversation of what we can get away with on purchases. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we think a lot of Lovecraft fans and their spouses have been having those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> I just been kind of waiting to see what the, um, uh, cause I know you said it was going to be fi- think or well, you're kind of expecting maybe 50 uh, uh, copies of the super deluxe. Um, that, yeah, fi- that's the plan. It is a limited edition where uh, both we and the, we have some other prop makers working with us on the project and nobody wants to be making some of these things forever. <laughs> so the plan was right. to do a, a, a limited edition numbered set. And once, once those have all found homes, uh, that will be the end of the limited edition. And there'll still be the, the deluxe dark adventure um, set, which is, you know, <laughs> a whole lot of stuff um, <laughs> that, that I think will be an open edition uh, that right now there's no plans to, to cap that. Um, going out but yeah the the super deluxe um yeah it would be insane to not have a finish point for that because you've been working on that nonstop for five years to meet every order <laughs> because part of our business is, is continuing to create new products and you know develop new stories and things some of our time we try and keep available to for writing new shows for you know recording producing new shows and not just dealing with the production side of uh of some things and the production side of uh, the super deluxe mask set is, is kind of gnarly. If you'll pardon the pun. (laughs) I know it is certainly a very elaborate campaign. What is the projected length of this recording? An interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever looked at a movie screenplay, but they're, they're formatted very specifically. And when you first start dealing with that format, it's just a pain. And it seems like somebody went crazy with the tab settings on a typewriter, but they actually, whoever whoever worked all that out, it does work out that one page of a, something that's in a screenplay format will equate to one minute of shot footage in a film. And fortunately, that rule also tends to work in our radio plays so that if we have a 70-page script, we know we're going to end up with a 70-page recording. Uh, so the mask script is 446 pages. Uh, you do the math and you come out to about seven hours and 20 some minutes. Um, and that's also partly dictated by the fact that you can't really effectively put more than 75 minutes of audio on a CD. You get up to like <laughs> 78. But, um, and, and because the story of masks comes in six, six big geographical chunks sure. uh, for our adaptation, each one of those, those geographical regions will equate to a CD. So it's going to be a six CD set roughly seven hours and 20 minutes. Um, and there'll be a CD for New York, a CD for England, a CD for Egypt, a CD for Kenya, a CD for Australia, and a CD for the Chinese. Excellent. This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> we, we try and keep reminding ourselves that this is cool. <laughs> Do you guys intend on including any third-party stuff, such as the Mass of Nihilithrohotep Companion? We we did make some reference to that. It, it, they did a, the uh, the Mass and Yarlahotep Companion. Yeah. You know, those guys did an enormous amount of research, and it was really handy for us to be able to go to something directly and go, oh, what you know, if our characters are going to stay at the second best hotel in Shanghai, you know, these guys had already done a lot of the groundwork research, so we we made some use of uh, of that as a, a piece of reference material. I understand, I understand that. Um, you you're working closely with Piazzi for the new edition. It's coming out uh, actually next week, I think, at least by PDF, I think. So everything that you're prop wise is should fit well with even a new edition coming out. Yeah, the whole this whole thing kind of came to be at Necronomicon in Providence last year. Uh, we we're chatting with Mike Mason of Chaosium, and he was saying they're getting ready to re-release masks, and we had just done our adaptation of Chaosium's uh, game, The Brotherhood of the Beast. Um, and we both thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to adapt the new version of Masks as a, as a radio play? So from the get-go, we've been working with them sure. with the newest version of their new... It's the fifth edition for of Master Nero Hotep for the seventh edition rules for Call of Cthulhu. And 
I, I think actually the fun quality about the the radio play too is it is certainly based and clearly based on the the new thing that Chaosium is putting out. But there's tons of stuff that happens in the Chaosium publication that does not happen. It just never comes up in the radio play. The the the, the campaign as written is a much bigger adventure. It would not fit on six CD. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It'd be a fourteen <laughs> CD set. So we we chopped a lot of stuff out uh, that's in the role playing adventure. And then of course we you know we have our characters doing things and solving problems in ways that you know most uh, role players would never you know, would not necessarily have thought of. So things happen in the audio play that don't happen in the role-playing game and things happen in the role-playing game that don't happen in the audio play. And, and I think that's actually a, a, I think that's as it should be. Yeah. You want to retain, you want to retain the playability of the game so that people can, can still enjoy both. And, and, you know, listening to the show won't necessarily spoil the, the fun of playing the game and vice versa, because, because there are still surprises no matter which, no matter which of them you you do. Yeah. Awesome. This is your, I know we talked earlier, and I'm not even sure if we were recording then, that this would be your first year attending uh, a, a con, a, a game convention, the Pacific Gen Con. I plan to be in there. I, I noticed a few other members, I think, that are coming to Gen Con and just recently learning that you're going to be there. What led you to, I guess, decide to, to finally join the con? I know, I think before you've said that it's just simply wasn't, you weren't entirely certain if it was, I guess, worth the effort in some ways. But um, I guess what made, what made the decision for the leap? I think it was really driven by working on masks. Our relationship with the team at Chaosium is closer than it's ever been. Um, and it's actually uh, a, quite a constructive partnership that we've got going. And I, th- I think if they suggested that we might want to join them. So uh, my understanding is I think our presence at uh, Gen Con is sort of we're like a subtenant of the Chaosium booth. And, you know, we found at bigger conventions, if the audience base doesn't isn't really familiar with Lovecraft, sure, it's, it's very difficult for us to explain who we are and why our products are interesting. When we go to something like Necronomicon, where everybody is already a Lovecraft nut, well, you know, that's a slam dunk for us because everybody's already interested in what we do. Um, and if everybody's, you know, at a convention to play Dungeons and Dragons and there's only seven guys who are Call of Duty players, uh, that's maybe not the best place for us to be. But we thought, you know, a giant show like Gen Con where we can, you know, go in, you know, hand in hand with the guys at Chaosium and they've got new stuff. and We've got new stuff that connects to their stuff. And there's a nice symbiosis going on there. So this seemed like a good year to, exper- to do the Gen Con experiment. Everyone else might be wondering why you're selling mummy dust, you know, at the the, <laughs> the booth when everyone else is playing uh, or selling books and dice. <laughs> they, they give us those funny looks. I I don't know why. <laughs> Cathedral lives. I know. I mean, I I think that section of your site still under construction. You had posted, yeah, um, like you know the stories, and uh, I remember reading through quite a bit of those over the years. But the. Uh, my understanding is that right now there's not a lot of Cthulhu Lives uh, games being being conducted anywhere because, you know, schedule-wise, everything else. Is there a possibility that they may come back in the future? That's absolutely the plan. Our original website was, was you know, we had originally done, uh, kept records of all of our games using a hypercard stack way back in the, in the <laughs> late 1980s. And our first website was just sort of a web version of that hypercard stack. Um, but since then, of course, the, the capabilities of the Internet have grown so drastically. And, you know, all of the stuff that used to be on the Web was all so low resolution and small. So when, when we recently upgraded, you know, we recently overhauled our entire website and and, and the, the old game stuff, just a lot of that stuff is not really suitable not good enough for what the Web is now capable of, of delivering. So trying to trying to, you know, rescan some of that, trying to go through some of our old records and find original photos and rescan them at higher resolution. And, uh, you know, you, it's a, a lot of that stuff has happened a long time ago. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's very much the plan to restore the whole adventure archive and all of the information about our past games. But it is a very labor intensive process. And we've, we've just had to, we, we're budgeting our labor on, you know, producing dark adventure and other stuff at the moment. So it's a slow process, but yeah, it's definitely the plan to bring the adventure archive back online as soon as we can. 
Are, are there plans to to, to actually uh, uh, host or uh, do Cthulhu Lives games as well? Generally speaking, you know, we, we at the time when we did the most gaming, we were all college kids, and that's like <laughs> a perfect time in life because everybody's got a lot of time and flexibility. <laughs> Andrew goes, "Hey, follow me up to a graveyard in the mountains, and we're going to play Cthulhu on Saturday night." And we go, "Good, I'm in." You know, and that's kind of all there is to it. Now that people have mortgages and families, and you know. Life is more complicated for adults. Putting on games is the way we used to is is just not really particularly feasible. But one thing, uh, an idea we've been knocking around for a while is is uh, doing a HPLHS retreat, sort of to do a, a weekend where people would travel to a location that we have set up, and they would meet other Lovecraft fans, and there would be a LARP game as part of it, and there would be you know, pleasant activities for spouses and people who aren't into Lovecraft to do. And, you know, it's it's uh, trying to make it, trying to bring back some of that fun and, and to, I think, fan a little bit the, flame, the the social flames of the HPLHS to get members, you know, meeting each other and, you know, sit down and watching, you know, Call of Cthulhu with, you know, 20 other members at a <laughs> cabin in the woods and the hills of Vermont or something. You know, that's the kind of idea we've been kicking around and, uh it was on the table until masks really reared its ugly head. And, uh, <laughs> but I think once we've tamed that beast, uh, we may go back to, uh, you know, looking at the feasibility of, of at least doing a sample, one of those, trying it out and see if, uh, see how it works for everybody. But we had, we had discussed the notion of doing a, a LARP game as part of that. I think uh, Whisper in Darkness might Whisper be a better film for in Vermont. But. <laughs> for the hills of Vermont? Yeah. Might, might, might come a little too close to home. Yep. I, I was kind of interested in proposing interested if in having local chapters running Cthulhu Lives. Uh, maybe as being, I guess, you're having, you know, having uh, been sanctioned by you guys. Because I live in Michigan. I had the thought of uh, even doing like a... a, a uh, west side versus east side. You know, west side hosts a game for east side to come over and play in, and then they reverse that, and then it'd be opportunity to do a similar type of game, but also opportunity for people to earn the stamps that are available for uh, being a keeper or a player. I don't know if that was something that you guys would be even open to considering for our members to do. You know, devil's always in the details, but if we can figure out how to do it, you know, I think conceptually, and tell me if you disagree, Andrew, but I think, you know, on the whole, we'd, we'd like to see members meeting each other and interacting, you know, with each other. Uh, it's just sort of a question of figuring out the, you know, the rules and the logistics and, you know, what is an HPLHS event and what isn't and, you know, that, sure. that sort of thing. But if we could uh, find some folks, uh, you know, a lot of people who join the society we tend to find are very like-minded folks to what we're what we're about, and uh, if we can find a good way to systematize other people, you know, uh, running their own local things, I think it'd be great to see. Okay. Yeah, I think we would certainly be more than happy to, you know, encourage and support without necessarily making it, you know, official. This is an HPLHS event, but we would certainly be always interested in you know, lending whatever support we can to people who want to run their own live action Cthulhu games. And we'd certainly be open to the idea of extending bonus stamps to members who participate in things like that. But, you know, we wouldn't have the ability to directly oversee other people's games and you wouldn't, I don't think many people would really want that anyway. So no, no, I, but I was, and you know, it was more uh, like, uh, um, we whoever local chapter would have their, it'd be strictly their members and maybe, you know, like I said, uh, Eastside Michigan coming over, Right. Playing in the west side, and then a few months later, west side goes over play with the east side, and and anyone else who maybe if somebody went from Ohio wants to come up, that's fine too. But it's really you know it's us <laughs> who are managing everything. We're we're at, at you know we just let you know what was going on, and and yeah. just for the purpose of stamps and everything. But because I've 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 wanted to look at getting a, a player stamp for a while, but then realizing that there really isn't many games going on. <laughs> well, I think you know. We we're always open to fun ideas, and I'll bet we could work something out. <laughs> Absolutely, and even if if uh, you know East Michigan and West Michigan become our our pilot programs to to test how something might work, uh, by gum, let's give it a try and see how it goes. Jeff, were you throwing shade at Ohio a moment ago? <laughs> uh, not intentionally. <laughs> it, was, it was love. It was love for the Ohio people. They were invited. Thanks for alienating my audience, Jeff. (laughs) I I do got to nerd out here and ask um, an editing question. I probably should have asked beforehand. Uh, Do you all actually do your own editing or do you go through an outside source for the uh, radio dramas? 
all done in-house. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Are you using like Audition or what kind of? Yeah, we, the first, I don't know, first maybe 14 16. shows, something like that, we, we used uh, Final Cut Pro. Mm. Uh, and just, you know, it was essentially like doing the sound work for a movie, but there was just no picture. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know, it was Haunter of the Dark, somewhere. Haunter was done in Audition, I think. Haunter might have been the first one. Didn't we switch over halfway through the collected fiction, basically? Well, half of collective fiction was, yeah, it was done in Final Cut and half wasn't. But, but Dart-wise, maybe been Thing on the Doorstep or Hunter of the Dark, something like that, was when we switched and, and started using Audition. And we've been pretty happy with Audition, actually. It, it does a lot of things better or yeah. easier than, than things that would be very inconvenient to do in Final Cut um, yeah. or, or easier. And there are a few, it's got a few tricks that, that are just plain slick and, and nice. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's what we're using these days and, and it works, it works pretty well. So that's cool. That's what I, I use it on occasion. That and audacity just depends on how elaborate I'm going on. Something. Yeah. Well, see, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll get, you know, in the gnarliest sections, we'll get 25 to 30 tracks of audio going at the same time and oh, the really right. complex sequences. So it's like, audacity is not quite oh no no it's two or three channels most i think yeah (laughs) so how many times did you listen to uh, the complete fiction oh my god well (laughs) um in making it a lot uh since since then i i don't find i i personally fired up that often uh how about you andrew do you do you listen to it driving over to anything no not usually yeah (laughs) we can add our fill and it's it was you listen to it, you know, when you're working on it, you listen to it constantly. And then I find yes. I tend to listen to it for about a week after it's released. And then after about a week, it's like I'm ready to move on to the next thing. <laughs> I remember yeah, I think I, it was. I listened to uh, dri- Driving to Providence last year. I, I listened to yeah. a couple uh, of my favorite stories off it just because I needed something to hear to fill the time. But uh, on the whole, I'm, I'm with Andrew. It's like once it's released to the public, I've pretty much had my fill by then. So. <laughs> I remember you actually you actually drove from uh, California to Providence for Necromonicon, didn't you? I drove out and Andrew drove back. Yeah, so we we got the whole Trans America experience. <laughs> You're braver than I am, sir. Well, man, uh, Andrew's gearing up. He, he's driving the truck to Gen Con, so yeah, we're about to do it again. So <laughs> oh lord, <laughs> that's not not quite as far, but yeah. <laughs> well, guys, uh, we kind of you know angle with this podcast toward the role playing side of it, and I just few questions do y'all still play call cthulhu or any type of role-playing games we we actually uh at hplhs headquarters run uh some gaming nights again until we've been so swamped lately uh usually once sometimes twice a month we've done it so we we did uh tried out pulp cthulhu uh we're doing uh, mark morrison's reign of terror we did some octum cthulhu so yeah we we it, it's only been relatively recently since we we moved from our old headquarters, what about a year and a little more than a year ago, yeah. to a new uh, to a new building, and the new building is much more conducive to that kind of thing because it's got a shop and a public storefront like that. So, but yeah, over the course of the last year, uh, we've been I've gamed more in the last year than I have in the last twenty. <laughs> so yeah, and it's fun because people sign up to get to play, and we get different folks every time, and you know people come down and uh, they're hanging out in the Lovecraft build joint and uh with other fans and uh yeah it's been good fun i, I have to say if i was closer i'd probably be there pretty often too <laughs> well hopefully uh hopefully your travel plans bring you out this way and uh we can get have you over for a game excellent do you all have any particular favorite scenarios you've ran in the past well I, go ahead Cassian's, uh you know the the fungi from yuggath that keith herber classic that we adapted into brotherhood of the beast that's always been my I mean, that was a, a life-changing experience, quite literally. If, if I hadn't played that game, I, I wouldn't be talking to you now. I'm certain of that. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that particular game is one that always stands out uh, for me. There, there was also uh, one, another one by Keith Herbert called, when it was first published, it was called The Haunted House. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I ran that on two separate occasions, and it was the most frightening Call of Cthulhu. Both times I ran it, both sets of players were genuinely afraid. And, and I think that's, you know, that emotional power of role-playing games is, I think, one of the coolest things about them. Uh, when you can actually evoke 
an artificial, a, a real set of emotions through artificial circumstances like that. Yeah, I think it's just so satisfying. And both times I played that game, the players got hooked into what was going on, and it's just a really good spooky house story. But you know, uh, it, it played out really well. So that's one of my favorites. So, do you all have any particular recommendations for role players? Well, I'll tell you, you know, one 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 thing that's a big part of of our world has been really began with the props and the handouts because that's a really fun element of playing a role-playing game is going oh you find this at the library and the keeper hands you you know a page from a book or a a, you know newspaper article or whatever and that's really the beginnings of where you know we've gone so (laughs) off the rails with the uh, the dark adventure shows you know and having the props and we have prop sets for you know there are some published scenarios that we have downloadable prop sets for and that's why we're making the gamer prop set for massive Nyarla hotep because you know the new the new chaosium's new edition has some of the best props they've done yet but they still they have a different threshold for for what makes a great prop than than we do and we've always said ours should be evidentiary our props should be so realistic you could submit them in court and they'd be you know, processed <laughs> into evidence. That's a good prop. There's nothing that gives away the fact it's fake, makes it so much more realistic and and makes the the artificial reality of the game seem that much more real. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we're going to – oh, you want to say something, Andrew? Well, I was just well, going to ask you, know, we also, also – so props, props hand out, hand you, know, you know, they have, they to, have be, to be contained in a – an eight and a half by 11 inch book and it's all printed on the same kind of paper. So we are not limited by that. We're free to use different sizes, different kinds of paper. So we can do, you know, when we do newspaper clippings, they're printed on newsprint by a huge web offset press, the way real newspapers are printed. When we do, you know, we can do large format maps because we're not limited to the size of the book itself. So that's another sort of advantage of some of our prop style stuff is we can go that extra mile because we're not limited by having to put it in the book. Sure. Yeah, it's not necessarily their fault. They have different constraints than we yeah. do. One, sure. one other kind of interesting thing we've done for masks is um, this is our first time ever doing audio props. Hmm. And uh, there are there are eight instances in, in masks where Chaosium has a handout that says, you know, you, you meet Jeremy Grogan out in the desert, and this is what he says to you. And, and they have a handout for the statement of Jeremy Grogan, and it's a long speech that an NPC you meet makes. We decided it might be more fun to, to go, well, let's hire a professional actor and do a sound design and record that thing so that the keeper can just simply put it on his phone or his laptop or whatever and play it. So instead of having a handout that says, here's what Jeremy Grogan says, you actually get to hear Jeremy Grogan talking to you. <laughs> Um, and so we've done that, and and we've uh, packaged it in a nice uh, uh, Edaphone wax cylinder uh, case, and it's a custom USB drive that has all these pre-recorded files on them, so that for people playing the game, when they hit these different clues, yeah, we we have a physical paper transcript if you want to give that out too. But we thought it would be more fun for players and keepers to be able to play and hear these things as performed monologues rather than than a uh, you know, just a handout that says this is what the guy says to you. That's awesome. <laughs> cool. We hope people like it. I don't know if anybody's ever done this before, but uh, another thing that's fun about that, you know, and it's up to the keeper to decide whether or not he or she wants to deploy it this way. But if you give if you give a character if you give players a handout, this is what Jeremy Grogan says. Then they have that handout and they can refer to it later. But if you just play the file, then it's up to your players to remember what Jeremy Grogan said, and you. You know, you don't get the handout. You you have to rely on your memory. Yes. You, know, you can't just replay it at will. So it it brings that extra level of realism to the gaming experience because it's more like what the experience would have been in real life. You get to hear Jeremy Grogan's statement once, and then Jeremy Grogan, you know, goes away or whatever. But it's up to you as a character to remember what he said, and and maybe you'll remember the important parts, and maybe you won't. <laughs> Or, or misremember them. Yeah, maybe yes. you'll misremember them and go the wrong way because you could have sworn he said it was down that path when really right. it wasn't. Was that a left or a right? Exactly. Who could tell with that thick Australian accent? <laughs> I know I run the bulk of my games online. I think for me to use that prop, I'd have to hook my mixing board up and play it one time and like, nope, that's it. <laughs> <laughs>
but we, actually we think, you know, for people who do play online, it might be a neat way to do it, you know, and some keepers are theatrical guys who like doing all the voices and all that. And that's fine. They can still do it the traditional way, but for other people, um, because this is such an international cast yeah. of characters and masks, you know, there's a character who's speaking Swahili and there's people from, you know, Australia and England and, you know, the United States and hither and yon and, uh, all that. So, you know, it's another resource that again, hopefully can just make the gaming experience more fun because we thought it would be fun. Right, Andrew? We yeah. do. That's your model. That's our model. <laughs> do you have a rough projected kind of outline to win National Lothra Hotep maybe coming out to the public? I know you're doing pre-orders or you're getting ready to start pre-orders here pretty soon. Yeah, we've, we've, uh, pre-orders are available for two of the four iterations. So right now the gamer prop set is available for pre-order and we anticipate those will be shipping or start shipping around August 1st. We hope to have them at, our plan is to have them at Gen Con. Yeah, uh, we all we can to make sure we have them at Gen Con. We, yeah. that's our plan. One, one, <laughs> one, one of many printers could wreck that plan, but at the <laughs> moment that's the plan and, and we think it's going to come through. The all the other versions of it include the include the audio. They you'll whether you get the basic version, the deluxe version, or the super deluxe, they all will have that seven and a half hour dark adventure show in there. And right now, our estimated completion of that is uh, around September first. So okay. Okay. Uh, if all goes well with that, then uh, you know we, we've got the composer working on music and the edit and all the post production. But hopefully, uh, around the first of September, we'll we'll have those guys shipping out. I believe that you're, you're looking to get a date for pre-order for the Super Deluxe kind of soon. Yeah, the the Super Deluxe there there's there's a couple of things that are intended to be in it that uh, we have other prop artists working with us, and we've we've taken new looks at a couple of the props. Going, is there a better way to make this thing, or a way to make it cheaper so the overall cost of the whole thing is cheaper? Um, you know, to try and solve some production problems and also to try and keep the weight down because, you know, there's a lot of interest in this from overseas and we're trying to not have the Super Deluxe be a 42-pound, you know, uh, thing that we're shipping over. But so it's trying to manage the, you know, having really great props, but having ones that, you know, are not, it's going to be expensive no matter what, but there's there's horrendously expensive and then there's just painfully expensive. Uh, so if we can, if we can lower it to that second category and, and shave some, uh, make production a little bit easier and take some, uh, some of the weight out of the whole package. I think that people will thank us for it in the end. So, and, uh, the gamer prop that you start that in pre-order up until you, when you guys start shipping usually, is that correct? Yeah, that's usually our thing is we call it a pre-order until, until we're actually shipping them and then, then it switches. Definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, the pre the pre order for the gamer prop set will it it's a nice discount that 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 will be taking us knowing what all the ingredients in that thing costs it will be taking a step up uh, in terms of cost once the pre orders end but to incentivize or to reward people for trusting us that we're going to make something neat and pre ordering it we've got a special price that's the pre order price on that uh, one other thing too you guys uh, I don't think we mentioned on the mask thing the with the gamer prop set. We have we've we've got the audio stuff in there. We've got our versions of all the Chaosium props, but there's a whole bunch of props that Chaosium does not include in their book, which we've added on. They they refer to some things, but did not actually make props or handouts of them. And so we've got I don't know, it's around like fifteen or so, Andrew, of like the more. Nairobi and the is it more? Is, is it more than that? More like twenty five. Is it really? Okay. Yeah. So there's a bunch of things that uh, with our gamer prop set, you'll get them. If you bought Chaosium's book, you, you won't, they're not among the, the props that, uh, that they create at all in it. So I think I remember prop. that coming up on Facebook group at one point or another. Yeah. Might, might've done, but. And some of, I'll also mention that some of, uh, some of the props that Chaosium does include, we're including, but not necessarily in exactly the same form factor. So, for example, that the famous matchbook from the Stumbling Tiger, the version that comes in the in our gamer prop set, you still get the matches from the from the Stumbling Tiger bar, but it's not it's not exactly the same as Chaosium's version. I guess it goes without saying we will be receiving a Yithian lightning gun. Well, <laughs> the Yithian lightning gun is uh, in the super deluxe box. <laughs> so. <laughs> Functional. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Great. 
you have a lithium power source, don't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If, if you have claws. <laughs> I think I found one on Craigslist. It was, you know, slightly used, but yeah, it should be okay. Thirty-four million years old. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I definitely appreciate you all sitting down with us today and discussing H.P. Lovecraft's historical society, Mastinalethra Hotep, and I think that's pretty much all we talked about. A couple of the dark adventure works, but I definitely appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. We're, we're glad you're interested and appreciate your uh, letting us talk your ear off for a while. Oh, <laughs> not a problem. And no. Again, to restate earlier, you guys are going to be set up at Gen Con at the Chaosium booth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think we have our own booth in their zone or kingdom I, or whatever they have. Yeah, I think, I mean, I... I I think last year was at Moon Studios. I think which they were sharing with. I don't recall, but I mean they they the, I think there's different size areas, and so they they may just get a large one and then just split it in half. You know, so you you probably still have like a decent sized table. I think so. Cassium's booth, my understanding is, is pretty big. So we'll I think we'll be we'll be yeah I think we we've got like a ten by ten zone or whatever. Yeah. It is. yeah. Well, I know I'll certainly be seeing you guys up there. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, look close. Will be a stamp available? <laughs> yes, there will. There will be a stamp available. Yeah. Cool. Well, gentlemen, appreciate your time, and guess uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off on this episode here. All right. All I'm right. Go back to designing the Cairo Bulletin. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Awesome. I'll, I'll I'll go write an article for you to put in your design. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye bye. Take care. Don't ever give up. Not all fights are won by skill. Number one by luck. Don't ever give in. You've got to keep on trying till you lose or you win. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Wait with hope for the big 2-0. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it roll, let it